And uh, this morning we're going to be finishing up Genesis chapter 19. And uh, you know, Genesis chapter, last week um, was a pretty heavy passage of scripture. And uh, this, uh, this, this week is uh, a little bit more the same, um, taking a little bit different approach. But uh, it's my prayer that you will be encouraged both from last week and this week as uh, we complete chapter 19. And, um, you know, the question that I want to us to look at or the observation is uh, that, you know, we've been going through Genesis, the book of Genesis. I think we started back in October. I'm not, I'm not sure. But, um, you know, all the things that we have been reading about was prior to the law being written in the book of Exodus. But as we look at people's lives, their, their rebellion against God, the Bible is clear that none of them are without excuse. Even though they don't have the law of Exodus, they still have the law written on their heart. They know right from wrong. And so I want you to look at Romans chapter 2 for a second. Romans chapter 2. And I want to read verses 12 through 15 because it addresses uh, what we've been walking through uh, in the pages of Genesis. Romans chapter 2, beginning with verse 12... Bible says, when the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation in this this particular passage this morning. I, I like how it reads. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Now, you might think to yourself for a second, is that talking about uh, righteousness by works? And I, and I would say to you, absolutely not. Uh, when it comes to our faith... God wants our, he wants to see our faith in action. Abraham, the Bible says, was saved by faith. He believed God's promises, and he, the Bible says, and he was made righteous. But there came a point down the road with Abraham and Isaac where God told Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, his son of promise, uh, the one that God had been promising all along, to sacrifice him. And Abraham was so full of faith that he was obedient to God, believing that even if he sacrificed his son, that God would bring him back to life. And so when he was out up on that Mount Moriah and was about to take that that um, that knife and sacrifice his son. God said, "Stop, Abraham. 
I know, I see what's in your hearts. And the Lord has provided a substitute, a sacrifice. And there was a ram caught in the thicket. And it's a picture of Jesus' death on the cross. But, but Abraham wasn't just an individual who heard the word of the Lord. He obeyed the word of the Lord. And that's what God is work, looking for in all his children's lives, is that we will be obedient to the word of God. That is the, That exemplifies the faith that is in our heart. So we're not justified by works. That's not what verse 13 is saying. Verse 14, even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them that they are doing right. And so nobody on the face of the planet is without excuse. Even if they don't have the law of God, the Old Testament, God has written it on their conscience. They have the, the ability to know right from wrong. And we're going to look at that a little bit more in just a moment. But uh, when it comes to Scripture, the Bible addresses all the issues of life. And there is not one person who is innocent outside of Christ. Sin is ugly, and the Bible tells it like it is. And we're going to see another example of this this morning. We are going to be looking at a highly dysfunctional family. And we are going to see a read of a scene of wicked depravity. Lot was a horrible father. And his daughters picked up on Lot's horrible traits. And mom, she wasn't any better. Mom's not in the picture now. As uh, the family was fleeing... Well, they weren't fleeing Sodom and Gomorrah. They were being dragged out of Sodom and Gomorrah by the angels. They really didn't want to leave. They, they had a whole lot they were leaving behind. And uh, so much they left behind that mom turned around when she wasn't supposed to and looked upon Sodom and she became a statue of salt. And so here the family is without their mom. Mom saw her possessions as more important than her family. And the family lost their mother. And then the family is without. The, the daughters are without uh, their, their fiancés who thought that their future father-in-law, Lot, was joking when they... Lot warned them, told them that they needed to go with them to get out of Sodom and that that they couldn't believe that that could possibly be the truth. And so they died in the judgment as well. So here we see 
in verses 27 through 29. We're just going to walk through these, uh, this, the rest of this passage a little bit at a time. And uh, the first thing I want us to see is uh, the sobering scene. Verse 27, And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley, and he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. So here... Abraham is looking out over the horizon. It's kind of like if uh, if Abraham was up in Short Canyon and looking back this way over the Indian Wells Valley. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that um, horizon before or been up there to be able to look back on Ridgecrest. That's similar to what Abraham is looking at in this passage of Scripture. And all he sees is dark smoke in the valley. And he knows what has happened and god has literally torched the cities of the of the valley and utterly obliterated everything and abraham is having a crash course in the seriousness of sin god's not playing games God is a God of wrath and he will punish sin. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And if your life is not secure in Christ, if your life is in Christ, you are safe and secure. But if your life is not in Christ, then where is your life? It is under the wrath of God this very moment. And the Bible is clear. All sin is going to be met with the full wrath of God. Every sin throughout the history of the world is going to be punished, the Bible says, either in hell or on the cross. And when Jesus died on that cross, he took the full wrath of God, our punishment upon himself. He became our substitute. And he faced the wrath of God for our sin so that we wouldn't have to. And if your life is in Christ... You are safe and secure. But if you've never made that decision for for him, this very moment, you are under the wrath of God. And you will one day experience that eternal punishment. But God doesn't want you to. And that's why he sent his son to die for you. And the best thing you could, the most important decision that you can make in your life is to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, believing, knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that he did that 
for you. He died for you. And three days later, he came back from the grave. This is what's going to happen. God is not playing patty cake here, and he has not changed. He is the same yesterday, he is the same today, and he is the same forever. And we we must revere who he is. He is holy, he is righteous, he is just, he is good in everything he does. Even Genesis chapter 19. Now, mom and dad, if you've got some wayward children in your family, I want to encourage you to hold on to verse 29. Verse 29 is is the most important verse of this whole chapter here. God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. God answered Abraham's prayer. God knows how to rescue the righteous. And as we look at Lot's life, he doesn't look very righteous. But the Bible says that he is righteous in the eyes of the Lord, and God rescued him and his family. Maybe your children don't look very righteous right now, but you keep praying for God's mercy for God's rescue in their life. Hold on to that verse. That that is an encouraging verse. God knows how to rescue those we are praying for. So there we see the sobering scene in the verse three verses. Now verse thirty. The shifting location. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. Well, what's going on here? You know, Lot had begged the angels to uh, let him go to Zoar. Um, it was a small community, but it, he would. This was the community he wanted to go to, and and the angels answered that request and sent him to Zoar. But he gets to Zoar, and the Bible says he's afraid. Why is he afraid? Because he's looking around and he realizes that this neighborhood looks a whole lot like what he just came out of in Sodom and Gomorrah. There are wicked people who live here. And so, you know, he should have followed the angels' advice at the beginning. The, the angels wanted to take him to the hills. and No, I want to go to Zoar. And he got what he requested. 
And what Lot, once Lot had had what he wanted, he didn't want what he had. And so the Bible says he heads for the hills. And so that's a good observation for you and I, church, that uh, we need to pay attention to God in the very beginning and look to what he would have us to do rather than just what we want to do. And so Lot finds himself in a cave outside of Zoar because he didn't like the neighborhood of Zoar. And, uh, and that just reminds us as well that the Lord eventually gets his way. You know, Lot wanted to go to Zoar. Lord didn't want him to go there, but uh, Lot went, winds up where uh, the Lord wanted him to go. So he's sitting in a cave. And in verses 31 and 32, we read of the sinister plot. Let's read those verses. And the firstborn said to said to his daughters, no. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring preserve offspring from our father. And so here here we see a passage of scripture that just kind of reminds us of the Jerry Springer show. I mean, it is a wicked, twisted plot um, to have children that uh, is conceived by the daughters. And the daughters know that this plan is wrong. Again, Leviticus chapter 18 hasn't been written. I mean, Leviticus 18 is pretty clear about what uh, God says about incest and the fact that incest is wrong. They don't have that law yet. But they know in their conscience that what they are conceiving of is sin. It is wrong. And they can't talk to their dad about it. Because had they just mentioned to their dad what, the, what they were entertaining, dad would have never gone for it. How wicked. How inappropriate. And so what do the, the girls conceive? Okay, we're going to get him drunk. We're going to make him drink alcohol. We are going to get him inebriated so that our plan will work. They knew this was wrong. How do they know this is wrong? We saw that back in Genesis chapter 3. When God told Adam and Eve not to eat of the fruit in the middle of the garden, what did they do? They ate of the fruit. And after eating the fruit, they were able to distinguish between good and evil. So good and evil are written on their conscience. Even though they don't have the law, they know that their plan is sinful. It is not what their father or the Lord would have 
approved of. You don't have to live in Sodom to realize that this plan is wicked. In church, we can't allow the world to squeeze us into its mold. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is and what is good and acceptable and perfect. These girls were not considering God's will. They were looking around. They were, they were thinking to themselves, this is real. there are no men around. And they just blow things out of proportion. Rather than trusting God, they come up with their own evil plan. And this is just remnants of Sodom and Gomorrah all over again. You know what? God's, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah just a moment ago. But Sodom and Gomorrah still lives in the lives of the Lot and the daughters. They need a heart transplant here. That's what they need. <clears throat> You know, God gives us rules because he wants to bless us. You know, if you go, I was reading Leviticus chapters 18, 19, and 20 this morning. And boy, I tell you, that is a tall list of wicked things to avoid. You know, and you look at all the things that are written, all the detailed sinful activities that are spelled out. I mean, some of these things you would think are pretty obvious and you should avoid. But God wanted to spell all those things out because he wanted to make himself absolutely clear because where they're going in the land of Canaan and where they've come from out of the land of Egypt, this was the behavior. And if they are going to be God's people, they need to learn to live holy lives, to be separate from everybody else around them. And God gave them those rules, and God has given us those same rules, not to make our lives miserable or to think about the idea of all the fun that we're missing out on that the rest of the world is doing. No. He wants to protect and bless you and I. I want you to look at Leviticus chapter 20 this morning. Leviticus chapter 20. I want to start with verse 22. You shall therefore, after having spilled all these things out to avoid. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them that the land where I am bringing you to live may not 
vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the customs of the nations that I am driving out before you. For they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. Look at verse 26. You shall be holy to me, for I am the Lord, for I the Lord am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. They were his. We are his. And I, I thought about my, my life growing up. You know, I wasn't a perfect kid. I was saved at an early early age. And, and uh, I guess maybe I learned to behave in a way not to get caught and stay out of trouble. But basically, you know, I wanted to live a life that honored God. And I also wanted it to live a life that would honor my family. I didn't want to soil their name. I didn't want my life to drag their name through the mud. I knew they loved me. My mom would take me to church each Sunday Dad wasn't very good at it, but Dad was a hard worker. and Dad showed his love to us as a family by working hard and providing us with things. But my grandparents, you know, I have both my grandparents' names. Um, William after my papa, Michael after my grandfather Logan, and uh, in the last name. And uh, my brother as well. But I wanted to honor their name um, by doing the right thing. And I, I really didn't understand this, but until this morning, and I got really emotional about it. They loved me, I belonged to them. And then here I see this, this passage of Scripture says, He has separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. My friends, God has chosen you before the foundations of the world to call you His own. He, his Son died for you. He loves you. You're His we ought to want to live our lives for him and honor and glory and gratitude for all that he's done for us. Paul says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of of your mind 
you might test, that you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What God says is best for your life. And you can trust Him as you follow Him. We need to avoid the conformity of the world. That's not where Lot was at. And this this separateness can only come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. We just can't behave as best as possible and try it by ourselves. No, you need Jesus. And Jesus needs to give you a new heart to live the life that he's called you to live. You can't do it on your own. You need the gospel. You cry out for help. You call upon him say, God, I'm a sinner. I can't do this anymore. I can't do it by myself. God will hear that prayer. And God will answer that prayer. And God will forgive you of your sin. You'll have a desire to live the life that he has called you to live. Lot was given a new opportunity by being in Zoar, by going to the mountains, but new opportunities cannot purify a corrupt heart. They needed the heart of God. They needed to repent. And unfortunately, the daughters had adopted the values of the world. They had trusted God, rather about they, they didn't trust God about their future, what he was thinking. And they were thinking that the, the end justifies the means. That having more offspring, furthering our father's name through this incestuous relationship is what is appropriate. And that the ends justify the means. And they did not. And then in verses 33 through 35, we see the shameful act. Let's read those verses. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and laid with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she rose. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let's make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger rose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Here is the shameful act. And it includes alcohol. You know, when we include alcohol with with sinful activities in particular, things are not going to go well. You know... I know that the Bible says that um, drinking alcohol is is not a sin. 
but drunkenness is a sin. And you know, when you mix alcohol with a person's life, some bad things can happen. I read some crime statistics last night or this week associated with alcohol. You know, 40% of those who are incarcerated in prisons today um, included alcohol um, in their in their activity. 40% of all sexual assaults include alcohol. 40% of child abuse cases include alcohol, as well as 40% of homicide. You know, it wasn't the sin that Lot drank the wine. The sin was that the father became drunk with the wine and that the daughters kept pouring and pouring more wine until they were able to commit their shameful act. Had dad been sober, he would have said no. And the daughters knew that. And so in order for the, the dad to submit to their desires, they had to get dad, dad drunk. And the sin of drunkenness is a super highway to more sin. Verse 34, what should have been a confession of sin became an update. Mission accomplished with the oldest daughter, and so she goes to the the, uh, younger sister and says, hey, successful, now it's your turn. And they basically bragged about it, and then what did Lot do? Lot did it again. Incest is horrible, But incest would have never occurred had there not been alcohol involved. And when it comes to um, the younger people in our service this morning, with the teenagers, teenagers, drinking alcohol is a sin. Underage drinking is a crime. It is against the law. And uh, let me just encourage you, as you continue to go grow older in life, one of the best choices that you can make for your life is to avoid alcohol altogether. I know we have liberty in this, and it's not a sin to drink, but you know what? It's a whole lot easier to navigate this life without the temptation of alcohol. Because when we drink too much, when you drink too much, you're more likely to make foolish choices that are going to hurt your life, hurt your testimony, hurt your reputation. Proverbs chapter 23 says, verse 29, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has strife, who has complaining, who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. 
Proverbs 20, verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Alcohol was a huge part of a shameful act. And it is written here, church, for our warning. Once again, the Bible, it doesn't hide sin. It shows us the warts and all of people's lives. Let's learn from the mistakes of this dysfunctional family. God wants you to avoid that kind of pain. And then in verses 36 through 38, we see the sad ending. Verse 36 says, Thus both daughter, the, both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Two godless people groups. One are the Moabites and the other is the Ammonites. The oldest daughter uh, named her son Moab and his name means from his father. It's kind of like she's bragging about uh, the the decision that she made. Uh, he's from his father. And then um, Benami, it means son of my kinsman. And uh, Benami became the... the um, the founder, the father of the Ammonites. So we see the Moabites and the Ammonites start through this incestuous relationship. They are distant cousins from Abraham and his family, and they will become Israel's enemies. God gave them land. God gave land to the Moabites and the Ammonites by his grace. But due to their idolatry, God's grace eventually ran out. The Moabites and the Ammonites, they were both defeated by the Babylonians when Jerusalem fell in 582 B.C. And uh, Ammonites and the Moabites were caught up in that that sweep. And so... Um, they were always a thorn in the flesh to the Israelites, both in the wilderness wanderings as well as when they conquered the land of um, the promised land. So this was the result of that sinfulness. So I just want to, to just close this out by contrasting Abraham's life with Lot's. We see Abraham. Uh, we began this uh, message with uh, Abraham having looked over the valley and God's righteous judgment on those people. And um, Abraham is safe in the arms of God. Abraham is living the kind of life 
that God would have him live. And he's going to be the father of a great nation. The things that he's witnessed with Sodom and Gomorrah and and things of God, it's his responsibility to disciple his children and his children's children because not only is he going to be a father of a great nation, but he's going to be the father of, of many nations. And that, mom and dad, is our responsibility as well things that we know about God, we need to be passing on to our children that one day they too may walk with God as we walk with him. God is abundantly blessing Abraham's life and it is through Abraham's life that the son of promise is going to come and uh, and continue through uh, um, consecutive lineages until we get to the person of Jesus Christ. But for Lot, Lot is a saved soul, but a lost life. Lot, he was blessed as well. Uh, as Abraham and Lot had come out of Egypt back in, I think, chapter 13, both Abraham and Lot had many possessions. In fact, their possessions were so large that they couldn't live in the same valley together. And so they separated and Lot went towards Sodom with his possessions, his cattle, all that he owned. He was a blessed man. But here we see in chapter 19, at the conclusion of chapter 19, the last thing that we read about Lot's life, he's living in a cave. We don't even know when he died. He didn't have any of those possessions. He had given up all those possessions because Sodom was so attracted to him that he just had to be there. And so Lot is a sad example of a person whose soul might be saved, but their life is lost. Now, I don't know where all of us are at in this room this morning. I told you a little bit about my family. I got the blessing growing up. I so appreciate that blessing. But maybe you were growing up in this dysfunctional home. Maybe not as bad as Blot. But there was no blessing in that home. Well, I want you to know, friend, God can reverse the curse. And if you're here without Christ this morning and you didn't have that blessing and and you don't necessarily know how to go forward and be that blessing to the generation that's coming up behind you, guess what? It starts with a clean heart. It starts with a brand new heart. I want you to know, Jesus became the curse. He took on the curse so that you could receive His righteousness. And if you'll just give your sin to Him, there's a great exchange that will take place. His righteousness 
will become your righteousness. Even though you didn't have the blessing growing up, I promise you, as you walk with Christ, as you learn the things of God, as you learn to separate yourself from the things of this world, not be conformed to the things of this world, you will be a blessing to those who come behind you. God will bless your life. Make that decision today. Let's not repeat Lot's mistakes. Let's choose to live holy, separated lives unto Him. Because we have His name. We are His. We have so much to be thankful for. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And even, God, through this dysfunctional passage of Scripture, Lord, there's so much that we can glean. And we are all people without excuse. We know right from wrong. Whether we're under the law or not, we know right from wrong because it's written on our heart. It's written on our mind. Help us, God, to trust you, to surrender your life, our life to you. That's that's where it begins. Because if we don't live surrendered lives, it is impossible to live the life that you've called us to live. Thank you, Jesus. He did it for us. Father, I pray that your word would be very meaningful to us as we open it each day and learn more about who you are and how much you love us. Use this time, Father, this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.